Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Can storytelling help us get through the COVID-19 pandemic? Is there value in creating a clear, calm story during these perilous times? Or would a story from long ago of a plague or horrible disease help us understand we're not the only ones who have been through something like this that we see today? Today on Think Humanities podcast, Storytelling with Mary Hamilton and Cynthia Chingaris. Mary Hamilton has told stories for a living since 1983. Through all those years, she continues to ponder the question, what makes good storytelling work? Mary is a member of the Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau and the Primetime Family Reading Program. Cynthia Chengaris is, uh, has a nursing and medical background. She uh, was a nurse practitioner most of her uh, life, uh, working in community health nursing. She's also a musician, uh, writes songs, uh, and a game collector uh, for a lot of her life, plays a number of instruments, and she too has been uh, involved in this work uh, of storytelling and uh, telling stories to all, uh, all ages since 1983. She's produced a, a story CD for small children and for older children, and that uh, title is uh, Spin Me a Tale, I'm Not Sleepy Yet. So, <laughs> Cynthia and Mary, welcome uh, to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's talk about, uh, Mary, uh, the, the, the power of storytelling uh, throughout, but especially during this time when uh, we're all uh, sheltering in place and practicing social distancing. Do stories have more of a significance during an event like this than any other time? I don't know that they necessarily have more of a significance now, but I think because people are not quite as distracted by everything that's available if people were out and about all the time, I think there's an opportunity for a story to have more significance. I think there's opportunity for um parents and grandparents to consider what's the story that the young people of today are going to be telling in the future. And, and I think that's an opportunity for story to be created as people are living through it. Cynthia? Yes, I would agree, Mary. Um, I'm not sure stories are more powerful. I'm personally someone who believes they have been powerful all along, both in setting the narrative that we all believe in and combining us as a culture and connecting us to our past and our future. So I, I feel like stories have always been powerful, but I'm hoping that parents use this time to just tell those stories, even tell stories about when they were little and when they got in trouble. Those are so interesting to children. And to tell the ancient stories that we have we have leaned on for years because those stories were collected by human beings years ago. And the only reason they're alive now is because they have had something to say to us about what it means to be human. Persistence, 
cheating, um, sneakiness, all of those human traits and the good ones, uh, honor, glory, compassion. Those are in our stories and they point up to us things that we need to think about and talk about. Right. The stories are survivors. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And what are the what are the the attributes of of good storytelling? Uh, not only during this time, but but as Cynthia said, in in all times. Well, one attribute that's really important that's that's missing for the two of us as storytellers right now is that that face to face interaction with an audience. So storytelling kind of has three legs: it's the story, the teller, and the audience. And for most professional storytellers right now, that that face-to-face interaction with an audience so that you can adapt the story as you watch the listener take in the story is is missing. I mean, there's even a bit of delay with, with the various video possibilities, but that's not missing within the families that are together during this time of social distancing. That's probably um, enhanced within families that are spending a lot more time together now. So that's why um, I I think it's such an opportunity uh, within families for for stories to be told these days, as well as for families to think about the story that's being created by how they're living through these days. And one thing that helps parents is if you tell the three little pigs over and over and over again, as I probably did 150 times to my first baby, um, you get to know it. There's no reason to read it anymore. You can start telling it. And, uh, and that's kind of fun. The story becomes part of you and part of your interaction. You can turn the pages for the kid to see the pictures, but you don't have to read it. That gets boring, but telling it, provides new potentials. (laughs) And you can tell about what you did when there were times when you couldn't go anywhere. Um, For a lot of Kentuckians, there was a big snowstorm. I think it was the 77-78 winter where it snowed and it stayed super cold and a lot of school districts had to close for over a month and especially out in the rural areas and people were home all that time they couldn't go anywhere not because they were under an order not to go anywhere but because it was impossible to go anywhere the roads were were shut down and it took a long time especially for the the rural school districts to get back um, underway. And people are still alive who were there in that winter of 77, 78, and they probably remember how they spent their time during that time trying to um, keep each other sane and reasonable and, and how they managed to get along. So some people may have some stories to repeat from that time. There wasn't that fear of a disease coming, but there was that that isolation that that people had to deal with then uh, a family isolated from other families. So I, I think people have some somewhat similar experiences that they can draw upon to talk with their kids about. One other expansive thing that strikes me is that stories as we tell them are a picture, a photograph, but underneath them are layers and layers of meaning. And the more you tell them, the more you may study 
and discover something new for yourself that makes life more rich. I've discovered that in prime time all the time. Children and adults are having meanings and stories that I never saw. And then those meanings bless me. So I like that about the richness of a story. It's not just a dead rock. It's, a, it's something that lives and moves among us. So that's a good example, Mary, I think, of the, uh, the snowstorm. I think that, that that's a, a one that uh, people do tell stories about and remember uh, today. Uh, is there a direct parallel other than the uh, unfortunate uh, death and, and, and the element of, of so much suffering with the pandemic that we're living through today in something like a snowstorm, are there parallels there that you see? Will are are there people? Are you writing and thinking of a story today that might be told tomorrow or next year or in five years about the uh, about the pandemic of twenty twenty? I'm not thinking specifically about what might be told in five years about this pandemic. I've found myself thinking about what older folk tales that I know of seem to be relevant for this particular time. I've been thinking more along those lines and other storytellers that I know, I participate in a listserv called Storytell that has storytellers participating in it from all over the world. And many of them have been asking those same kinds of questions. What are the stories that we know that may be especially relevant in these, in these times? Cynthia? I would say the exact same thing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not writing. I'm not much of a writer. I'm a collector of stories, and I work on my stories orally. Um, but I'm reminding people that there may be a story come up for them that their grandchildren and great-grandchildren will need to hear because of the experience and how it struck them. So I'm reminding people that it's important to note the stories now and to pass them on. Our little ones are having a very interesting time not going to school for a whole month and a half. I mean, for some of them, it's hip, hip, hooray. Um, but, <laughs> but they're going to have stories to tell their children that will be meaningful. And it may not be my story that I pass on, but it will be their story. So in thinking about stories for young children, and we'll talk about stories for everyone, but for children today, it's probably, I don't know, I'll ask your your advice. It's probably best not to dwell on the current pandemic. Uh, I know because my grandchildren have, have questions about what's going on. Um, my little uh, four-year-old grandson uh, calls the COVID-19 the big germ. That's what his parents have, have uh, that's what he can relate to. And he, in a FaceTime conversation just last weekend, he talked about uh, being sure that the playground equipment was clean and not to touch a railing and, uh, and he said, because of the big germ. Well, that's the way he could uh, sort of internalize it, and it didn't scare him. But do, you, do parents have to be, do storytellers have to be a little bit cautious about, uh, about making this uh, beyond a child's even imagination, that it could, 
it could create uh, problems with sleep or um, uh, scare them in a way that they have a problem dealing with it. Bill, I think little ones need to hear the truth at their level, period. The truth at their level. And uh, that's a little bit hard to digest. What is their level? But um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to tell my little ones the truth. This germ is hard. It's hurting people. But um, we're going to be okay. We're taking care of it. We have actions to take care of it. Stories that are scary for little ones, and we have some silly, scary stories, Mary and I, that at the end you laugh your head off, but in the middle you're scared. Those help little ones take on that scary in a safe way. So stories can do that for our little ones. Um, one of them ends up with a uh, a big boo at the end, and they all want to do it again, do it again, do the boo again. Well, of course they can't, but if, the reason they want to do it again is they face that fear they've experienced in their bodies, and then boo, it's over. So um, I always like to tell little ones the truth as they can take it, and I think our govern, governor has done a really good job of putting that on television, age-appropriate things, and I have really appreciated it. Also, uh, parents have the opportunity, uh, especially with the children who are of an age that they can write. My um, my sister's grandchildren are with her. My um, their mom and the kids are with with my sister and her husband. And every day at the end of the day, the kids who are third grade and first grade, they have a journal that they've been writing in every day. So every day. At the end of the day, what part of their bedtime ritual is to write a little bit in their journal. So they have the opportunity to be capturing their own story as they go along and to the extent that they want to capture it. The same thing could be done for a younger child, too, with the parent saying, oh, I'm going to write down your story of what today was like for you. Tell me about today. And you, you write it down and you read it back to the child and say, do you want me to change anything? And the children, without having a, a super instructional kind of an experience, are learning that stories can be written down. When they are written down, they can be retrieved. They can they learn about revision. They learn an awful lot of literacy just through the opportunity of telling what they want the parent to write down. And then even the next night they can say the parent could say something like, Oh, as we're getting ready for bed, want me to want me to read yesterday's story to you? And they can read yesterday's and say, Oh, tell me what you want me to put down for you today. And if the child says nothing, then Okay, on this day, they don't want anything put down. Don't, don't push it. But it's, it's an opportunity of capturing the child's story and making the child's story giving importance to the child's experience. It, that, that's, that's really important for us as people to know that our lived experience um, matters to someone. And that can also be a way for a parent to subtly find out how the child is doing through this. And if a child isn't at all interested, well, they're not at all interested. It's okay. It's okay. They're not interested in, in being recorded. They're not interested in having it written down. But that's okay. doesn't mean you don't ask. doesn't mean you don't offer. 
you can use interview questions rather than tell me what happened today. What's one person that you saw today that was interesting? Or what's one thing that happened? Or what did you think about that when that happened? So little interview questions versus tell me a story. What was your favorite moment of the day? You know, mm-hmm. Favorite moment? Well, I've asked you both to, to think about a story that you might be able to tell us. Uh, and I don't know if you want to do that or not. If you do, uh, I would, uh, and I think our listeners would appreciate uh, hearing a story uh, uh, that would uh, be some distraction away from what we're dealing with today, or it could be about this. I, I don't, I don't think either one of you have something about COVID, but you might, you might surprise me. So why don't we begin, uh, uh, Mary? Do you want to start uh, us out with a, a story that you can tell us? Okay, sure. But let me say one thing about what they're about. I've been reading a book of collected nonfiction by Neil Gaiman. And in this book, one of the things he said was, if anyone tells you what a story is about, they are probably right. But if anyone tells you that that is the only thing the story is about, they are most definitely wrong, which I think is important to keep in mind. So, um, Here's a story that might be about the time we're in and might be about all kinds of other things, too. Um, There was once a mayor and he wanted his town to become famous. And so he called a town meeting and they all talked about what are we good at? And some folks said, well, we know how to make white wine. We've been learning for generations how to make the best white wine around. We're well known for it. And someone else said, yes, and our foundry, our foundry makes pots and cauldrons and whatever else people need. We're well known for that, too. And the mayor said, that's it. That's it. We could create the world's largest toast we'll have our foundry create a huge cauldron and then on the when the cauldron is ready we'll haul it into the town square and and we'll have everyone bring a bottle of their finest white wine and we'll empty all the bottles into the cauldron and then we'll we'll invite um everyone for miles around and we'll invite the media and we'll we'll fill everyone's glasses with wine we'll have a gigantic toast and maybe we'll even set a world record and somebody began to applaud and every Everybody was excited about it, and the celebration date was set, and everyone went home. And that was when people started thinking. And one person thought, my wine is excellent. To blend it with wine the others make will only waste my fine wine. I'll bring water. Their wine is so poor, the water couldn't possibly do any harm. And another thought, the mayor and his big ideas, I don't know why he expects me to bring wine for the celebration. We elected him mayor. He wants to make the town famous for a wine celebration. He should supply the wine. I'll just take water. And at another household, oh, I only learned to make wine a year ago. Maybe the others learned from grandparents and great-grandparents, but I didn't grow up here. I had to live here over 10 years before I could persuade anyone to show me how to make wine. And finally, there was an old couple with no children, and they decided they would teach me just before they died. I'm not sure I've had time to learn enough. The old-timers won't think my wine's any good. Oh, I know. I'll bring water. And another thought, I only have one bottle of wine left. I can't afford to give up my last bottle. I I better bring water. 
Well, I never liked the celebration idea. I thought another one, and maybe I should have said something at the town meeting, but everyone looked so excited. I knew they'd be upset if I told them what a crazy idea I thought it was. I'll be there, but I'm not going to participate. Bring wine? Ha! I'll bring water. Bring my wine, thought another. It's taken me all my life to learn how to make wine this good. Why should I share it? I'll bring water. And another one thought, well, yeah, the others are going to bring wine. So why should I give my wine away? I'm not stupid. I'll bring water. Oh, my wine tastes bad. Yeah, I'm sure of it. No one has ever told me they liked it. Well, I know it just isn't good enough. So I'll bring water. And so it went, household after household. Everyone had a perfectly sensible reason for bringing water, but no one talked about it with anyone else. And the day of the celebration arrived, and that morning the mayor was so caught up in, in his preparations for being the master of ceremonies that the last minute he thought, oh, bring wine. No, I would have to go to my wine cellar and pick out, a, well, here's an empty bottle. I'll just fill it with water. It won't matter. And off he rushed. And from every part of town, everyone came. They poured in their bottles. Everyone invited was invited to go past the cauldron. All the glasses were filled. The mayor proposed a toast to our visitors, our town. It's fine and generous people. Let our celebration today remind us all of what we can accomplish when we all work together. Together, and everyone brought their grasses, glasses to their mouths and they sipped water. And the visiting media representatives dutifully reported the whole thing. I think it connects with the pandemic, which again is not the only possible way of thinking about the story, but I think it connects with the pandemic in terms of the kinds of things our governor has been asking us to do and how it's so easy for person after person to say to themselves, well, you know, I'm just one person. If I just fudge on it this way, it'll be okay. Margaret Reed MacDonald has put a version of that same story into her book called Earth Care, and she suggests that it could also be about pollution. You know, I'm just polluting the air a little bit. I'm just polluting the water a little bit. My little bit won't matter, but all the little bits add up. So that's one story that Cynthia and I talked and realized came to mind. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. And and Cynthia, can you uh, spin a yarn this morning? Well, I would love to. Thank you. There was an old gardener who had to travel from the top of the hill down to the river every day with a stick across and buckets hanging on the side of the stick. And he would gather the water and walk back up the hill and water the plants for the family and for the neighborhood. Each day he went down and gathered water and came up. But there was one bucket that had no leak whatsoever. And there was another bucket that leaked and leaked the whole way he went up that hill. Now, after many, many days and weeks of this, the two buckets got together late at night and the bucket that did not have leaks said, well, look at you, you lose half your water on the way up. And the bucket said, I know I do. I'm just no good to this man. And so the next day, the buckets began to talk. And the first bucket said, look at me. I carry the water the whole way up and you have plenty of water. But look at that other one. And the man said to him, buckets, 
Each one of you is important. I'm going to turn around and have you look down the hill. When he turned around and had the buckets look down the hill, along the pathway, flowers and herbs and rich growth. And the bucket who had the leak said, well, maybe I have been enough. And that's the end. Yeah. Well, what, uh, in your mind, what, what's the moral of that story? Well, there are lots of morals, but one of the morals that I take is, um, actually, my mother always called herself a cracked pot, and I appreciated that because each of us has cracks, each of us has uh, weaknesses, each of us has strengths, and that the weaknesses that I bring to my life are not something that should be thrown away, but are something that can be made into beauty and understanding and new life. That's what my takeaway is. And in this time of COVID, when each of us has something to bring, even my little staying at home and calling my friends who might be lonely, it's small, but I'm hoping it's going to reap rich rewards for my community that I live in. That's one of the things. That would be an important uh, concept for families, too. That, that nothing's going to be perfect when people are spending a lot more time together than they usually spend together. It's not going to be perfect. This non-traditional schooling, it's not going to be perfect. The teachers and the kids all need to give themselves the benefit of doing the absolute best they can and trusting that something good will come of that. There was a musician named Leonard Cohen who was a poet, and he said, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. It's how the light gets out. Mm, yes, that's, that's nice too. So to sum up, uh, Cynthia and Mary, there is a value to creating and telling stories during the pandemic that we're living through. Yes, yes. And there's a value even if you don't feel like you're creating a new, but even revisiting the older stories that have mattered to you as well. There's just a value in story. Even just sitting down and reading, a, like my mother used to sit down and read um, Grimm's fairy tales to us. <laughs> it was a big, thick book. And, and, uh, and it's kind of grim sometimes. But um, re the reading of those stories when I'm sitting next to my mother and connecting to her hip to hip, um, voice to voice, heart to heart, is beyond anything I could explain to you right now. And, um, and those stories still nurture me. I'll be going through life and I think, oh, oh, how interesting. When my father died, I said, mother, we can't go around it like in the bear hunt. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Mother, we have to go through it. So stories pop up for me like that in major parts of my life that teach me something that I didn't know I was learning mm -hmm. when I was a child. Well, Mary Hamilton and Cynthia Changaris, uh, thanks so much for uh, spending this time with us uh, and uh, relating to us your storytelling life and how it's been meaningful to you and how it is meaningful uh, to us as you uh, tell us these stories. We appreciate it so much. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. So much fun. Thank you. 
Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.